encountering the texture of the text of God's Word, text and context. Jerry? How are ya? Chapter 8, finally. Finally. Which is like the core. It's the center of Mark. It's very important. Not quite. It, uh, not really till you get to like verse 22. The, the blind man, that's really what starts that center section. Mark, which is so important. No. Do I look like the kind of guy that would talk about Super Bowl? Yeah. I didn't even know it was Super Bowl until like two days ago. I do? Thank you, Micah. Thank you, Micah. I'm not a Super Bowl guy. I'd rather play cards. I want chicken wings, and then I'll play cards. That's about it. I do like the. I like all the finger foods they make at Super Bowl parties. I just don't care anything about football. Who's even playing? I don't even know. Okay. Oh, good. Sweet. I'll be in bed by nine. No, no, uh, no, no concern to watch the game or even know the outcome. I don't care. I'll find out whenever somebody tells me. Uh, maybe. <laughs> it can can go pretty late, can't it? They do start pretty late in the evening. Uh, Arizona. Only reason I know that I was getting new tires on my car yesterday at Walmart. Walmart radio was live from Arizona at some store prepping for the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and get started here, everybody. Go ahead and get started. Uh, good morning. Good morning. I took a sip of coffee, right? I think. Just start praying, yeah. All right, we are finally in Mark chapter 8, which is, Mark 8 is beginning the center of Mark. So, basically, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's the meat of the sandwich, absolutely. Uh, we'll start with the feeding of the 4,000, but really it's not until you get to uh, verse 22 with the curing, uh, healing of the blind man, the double healing. And that kind of starts a little another uh, sandwich because there will be the healing of blind Bartimaeus at the end of that. And so it kind of forms this tight little section over that, that whole shebang. So, all right, I'm going to read chapter 8, The Feeding of the 4,000, and then we'll get started. In those days when there was again a great crowd without anything to eat, not us, as I see the food starting to accumulate, he called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples replied, how can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? 
And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to distribute. And they distributed them uh, to the crowd, and they also had a few small fish. And after blessing them, he ordered that those two should be distributed. They ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And now there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. So there you go. Dal, Dalmanutha. Although I have a footnote that says other ancient authorities read Magdala or Magdala. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. A region. They went to some undescript location. Some place somewhere they went. Somewhere in this 30-mile radius that Jesus never left. Well, and I have, yeah, he didn't go very far. I have a, I have a footnote here in my study Bible that says the location is actually unknown. It's debated where that place is. So that's, that's the problem. It's, it's one of those. Maybe. Doll, it is. No, no. I, I'm sure. I have no idea. I did, but this is Greek. It's probably Aramaic. But I've studied Greek. It's probably Aramaic. Yeah. I've studied Greek too, but I don't know. Like the back half of Daniel. Yes. Yeah, there is some Aramaic in our Old Testament. Very little. Tell. Mm-hmm. Or bar is for son of. Okay, tail. Gotcha. Uh, bar is son of. So like Bartholomew, son of Tholomew. So, yeah. I don't know. I should I should look that up. But since the location's unknown, I just didn't really care. <laughs> I should look it up. How are we gonna feed all these people? Yeah, the last time, so in the feeding of the 5,000, he was kind of like, you give them something to eat. Here, they're just like, what are we going to do? And so he's just like, okay, what do we got? What are we working with? Uh, maybe he's hoping they're they're going to figure it out sooner. I don't know. This time. As a side note, a little trivia. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Anyway, if you ever see The Chosen, it starts out with uh, loaves and fish. Oh yeah, uh huh. Yeah, so he was uh, he was having hard times trying to get this going, get these things going and stuff. And he, he looked at this scripture and he said, All I need to do is bring the fish and the loaves and let God take care of it. Okay. So that's why he has all the fish and loaves like in the introductory stuff. I'm glad to know that. That makes it a lot more meaningful to see that now. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. I've heard a sermon preached on, I don't remember if it was the 4,000 or 5,000. They're very similar anyway. But it was the idea of the perfect is the enemy of the good. That if you're trying to get it perfect, then that's, that's part of the problem. I don't have much, but what I have I'll give you and Jesus can make that work. So I'm trying to you know, do, do it by my own power, make it work the way I think it ought to be. But it doesn't have to be perfect. Just give them what you have. What's, is it good? Yeah, ooh, I like that. It can be perfect or it can be done, or finished, or whatever. 
can be perfect, but we can actually get it finished. Perfect, I like that. Yeah. Sounds like a what? A quilter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Warren. I get tick off watching a ball game when they are penalizing a team half the distance to go, and then half the distance. And I've seen them get down where it's this far from the goal, and I say, okay, now, how are you going to move? Because <laughs> they can't penalize them all the way to the goal. Right, yeah. right. And perfect is just hard. So it's like a foot from the goal. Yeah. Perfect never gets there. Perfect never gets there. The What'd you say? That's one way of making it. That's one way of making it to the goal line. One of the jobs I had, they did a personality test or whatever, mm -hmm. and, and it came up perfectionist. <laughs> I was like, I am not perfect. And she goes, no, 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 no. That's not a good thing. That's, that's not what that <laughs> means. Like, oh, okay. Now, I, I started seeing a lot more things I, in my uh, life that I was, would not get done yes. because. So I was going to say, I'm in that category too. Yeah. I'm a perfectionist. Yeah. And it's, it's, well, I was going to say, is it that you, you're like, I know this isn't going to be perfect, so I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. Like there's some part of you that like puts off doing it because you know, it's not going to be perfect. Cause I do that. If I know it's not going to be perfect, I just put it off, put it off, put it off. I try to get a vision of something like perfect and it just, yeah. Yeah, they do that on purpose, right? Yeah. And of all people who could get it perfect, it'd probably be the Minionites yeah. or the Amish. Yeah. The, uh, I think in the Navajos, too, the, the, you know, the, the necklace that had the crescent moon, it's an unfinished circle. Okay. And it's the, the leap that little bit. Yeah. Complete. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's obsession with perfection, right? Um, and Jesus can work with what we bring him. Mm, that's possible. Not, not in any concrete terms, no. Yeah. Yes. 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 Well, it's funny you say that because if you keep reading in this section, after the feeding of the four thousand, it's a demand for a sign. The Pharisees are asking him, demanding him for a sign, and he sighs deeply in his spirit. What does this generation ask for a sign? No generation, no sign will be given to this generation. Well, except they just got one. Like three verses ago, they just got one, the, the, the bread. And they've had hundreds of other ones surely by this point. And then under that, uh, the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, watch out, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And they said to one another, oh, he's mad at us because we didn't bring bread. And then becoming aware of it, Jesus says to them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see, ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets were left over? 12. Yeah. And whenever, and I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? They said to him, seven. And he's like, yeah, do you not understand? That's, um, that's a dramatic reading, but that's, I think, the tone in which Jesus is saying that because it's the same, like, didn't we just do this? Like, you're picking this up, you have eyes, but you don't see, ears, but don't hear. And 
you know, it's, we've talked about this before, but the eyes but don't see, ears but don't hear, that Isaiah language. It's good biblical, theological Isaiah language, but it's also, it's also funny. Like, you thick, scold idiots, do you not see what's right in front of you? How do you not get this? Yeah. Um, you're a teacher, you know. <laughs> Oh, Rosemary. The disciples are very clear in Acts that they do not want to be in charge of the Maybe it's That's true. Oh. Oh. That, yeah. He has fe- not in Mark. We don't get any mention of female disciples in Mark. So Mark's just like ignoring that fact. So maybe, you know, in Luke we have female disciples. I don't know. It's interesting. They don't want to give them an opportunity for them to say, I told you so. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Why, you know would you, why would you get an eating committee when you get a miracle whenever you like, yeah. I would, not, I would not be like, oh, how do I cut down the miracles Jesus is doing? Well, and in the gospel, in the gospel of John, Jesus gets aggravated him because he's like, you're really just following me because you want a free meal. Um, he says that and gets kind of aggravated with some of the crowds and turns the crowds away. So he's like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't be part of the kingdom. And then the people are like, that's weird. We're out of here. We'll skip the meal. Um, yeah, and, and they were obsessed with the bread earlier, right? Yeah. So Jesus reveals himself as Yahweh incarnate, and they're like, but the bread, and they're obsessed about the bread. Now they're here again, and they're like, they act like they've never seen this before. Like they don't know what to do. Um, speaking of bread, uh, Mark loves threes, and you got three uses of bread here. Bread, loaves, loaves. It's the same word. He likes his threes. You got an immediately in there. Immediately he got in the boat. And this is also in the desert. The last one was also in the desert. So again, the bread and the wilderness. Desert, think like wilderness. Whenever they say wilderness, they don't mean what we might think of as wilderness. They mean desert. So just like the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. It's desert. (laughs) There is nothing out there. There's no reason they survived but the grace of God. There's nothing out there. And so this is, um, it sounds like Israel in the wilderness being fed by God. And so, of course, Jesus is the one providing it. So what does that say about Jesus? Yeah. Um, I've already kind of started reading these other sections, so I won't read all of them. But all that, all with the feeding of the 4,000 ties into the stuff that comes next, the stuff about the demand for a sign. The Pharisees are uh, arguing with them, asking for a sign from heaven to test him. And that language is really interesting, a sign from heaven. Of course, in John's gospel, you get the bread of life speech by Jesus, where he says, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven, which the bread of life speech comes apparently right after this, right after the feeding of one of them, four or five. Um, So that's interesting. So John gives us a speech that otherwise we wouldn't have because Matthew, Mark, and Luke didn't think to include that for some reason. But John gives us the bread of life speech that Jesus gives. And so it's funny. They're saying, give us a sign from heaven. And it's like, just gave you bread from heaven. Also, I am the bread. I'm standing right in front of you. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. What did they want to see? Yeah. What is that? Yeah. What would it take to convince you? 
Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Whenever, whenever you're convinced, whenever you're determined to not believe in something, it doesn't matter. You know, like they does. Uh, where does it say? Even if uh, they should, even if you should send people from the dead, they wouldn't believe you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The story of rich man Lazarus, where even if he became real. Yes. And he and then he said, Well, if he didn't believe people who were alive, he's not gonna believe even if somebody were to raise from the dead and go tell him. Yeah. So I mean they're determined not to hear it. So um this makes me think of this, just because I'm at this level of nerd, but um so when it comes to like arguing for the reliability of the New Testament, there's this man named Bart Ehrman who is very much like, you can't trust the New Testament. <coughs> you can't trust it. And then you have other people who are smarter, like Daniel Wallace, a great Greek grammarian, who's like, no, you can trust the New Testament. Anyway, there's a debate between them. And at one point, um, Wallace asks Ehrman, what would it take for you to trust the New Testament manuscripts? And he gives this ridiculous, like, I'd have to have a manuscript of the New Testament perfectly intact after like three years and it have no variance whatsoever. And it's like, yeah, we don't have that with Martin Luther King Jr.'s speeches. And, he, and he's not been gone that terribly long historically. We don't have that level of manuscript reliability with Martin Luther King Jr.'s speeches, let alone the New Testament. And of all the ancient documents, we have more to point us to the New Testament than we do like the Iliad, the Odyssey. And we're pretty certain we know what the Iliad and the Odyssey said. And our manuscripts for those don't even get as close to the original as couple thousand years so but in other words he's putting his cards on the table nothing that's what that means that's a ridiculous impossible absurd scenario you're not going to find that so in other words i'm just determined not to believe Um, it's the same thing for them i think it doesn't matter even if someone rises from the dead and he will they're still not going to believe if god manifested right in front of them and said hi i'm yahweh they would it wouldn't matter. Hallucination or bad mushrooms. Yes, or or they'd uh, crucify him for blasphemy. Yeah, what a what an idea. Yeah, it, they're determined not to see it. It doesn't matter. Which is also why people often say, "Well, how can the disciples be so thick?" You know, if I if Jesus was right in front of me, uh, no. <laughs> you think awfully high of yourself. <laughs> um, you think awfully high of yourself if you think that because Jesus, a Jesus is right in front of us. And plus, we have something perhaps even better. We have the spirit that indwells us, which Jesus says, it's better that I go and that you receive the spirit. I think we're convinced that that's not good news, that Jesus went to the Father, by the way. Um, Here in about a month, we're going to celebrate Ascension Sunday. Um, I'm going to preach about the Ascension because we forget about the Ascension. We have birth, um, life, Death, burial, resurrection, and then we just kind of, you know, then, then he'll come back again. But he ascended to the Father. And I think we don't want to talk about that because there's some sense in which we wish he was still right here next to us. But no, it's good news that he ascended to the Father. And there's so much symbolism there. He's the king. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God when he ascended. Um, they knew the world was round, by the way. They, they knew that there were stars and galaxies out there. They didn't think Jesus floated up. To heaven and you could just go directly to heaven the greeks and romans had figured out astro- astronomy pretty well by that point 
So then what's he doing floating up in the air? He's ascending to the throne. He's going to sit down on his throne and now he's in charge and he's reigning. And that's good news because if Jesus is on the throne, then I'm not really worried about what the news says. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, although it's interesting, Jesus says no sign will be given to this generation. Yes, there is. <laughs> he's done several of them, which is funny. Matthew and Luke, whenever they take this story, they say no sign will be given you except the sign of Jonah. They add that little phrase. But maybe they're talking about that they're not he's they're not gonna get the sign that they think they should get. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're you're not gonna get it uh, just because you asked for it on your terms. Right. Any sign that's given you is given on my terms and on God's terms, but even then you're not gonna believe it anyway. Yeah. Jesus doesn't lie. Yeah. It can't be a lie. Well, it can be dramatic. No sign will be given this generation. And he's looking at these people. The sign is there, but they're not going to accept it. So no sign is given to that generation. Sign's given to those who will take it, though. Right? It's like, I think it's kind of like the stuff with the Isaiah. Preach so that they won't listen. Okay. Okay. Yes. I'm sorry. Come forward while we stand and sing, Alex. What are you going to say, Ron? <laughs> It might be quick for us to look at, you know, look at all the miracles he did as signs. But we can go all the way back to the Old Testament. Yeah. When Moses showed up, yeah, he did signs, but so were the other priests doing those signs. Mm. Moses did them better. Yeah. So the miraculous has been around, and they're not, the Jews aren't necessarily going to take that as a sign. That's fair. Because he made Some a bunch of, it. of bread, you know. Yeah. Happen. There's another magician. They're like, some of this stuff. Uh, oh, he he had a cooler that we didn't see. One of them big Yeti coolers or something. I just didn't see it. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing they do with his uh, resurrection. Oh, some disciples stole his body. Uh, that's what happened. Yeah. They're convinced no matter what. Yeah. They're they're not going to be convinced no matter what. They're determined not to believe, and so. It's a Yahweh cooler. Yes, it is. It is a Yahweh cooler, not a Yeti cooler. Thank you. I agree. I agree. Or it's those little baskets, the little to-go boxes that the disciples had. Totally. Um, I love that the disciples forget to bring bread. So do you hear the connection with this story in the last one where they got into the boat and they have their to-go boxes and they're looking at them and then now this time they don't have any. They're they're just obsessed with the bread, Um, even though they're really not obsessed with the bread because the bread, the bread of life, is sitting in the boat with them and they're ignoring him. They're focusing on other things. Um, And then Jesus has this clever warning. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And I love that they're like, oh, he's mad because we forgot to bring food. (laughs) And again, Jesus is like, it's in the Greek. He flats his forehead there. Uh, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Um, their hearts were hardened earlier because they didn't understand about the bread. Um, that was earlier. And now again, their hearts are hardened because they don't understand about the yeast. Um, also kind of the bread. Also, in their defense, daily bread was daily bread. They didn't have... Yeah. You know, they, they worked every single day to get fed. Yeah. And they didn't always stockpile. Right. Yeah. And especially when you're on the road. Mm. They, daily bread was something that they had to, they had to figure out. So it was up in the front of their mind. Oh, yeah. Oh, certainly. 
Oh, certainly. That's fair. If I don't eat today, I still know I got a refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Daily bread to me is completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at their homes, they probably had some stocked up and stuff, but still, daily bread was. was yeah. It, it just has nothing to do with how we live today. Yeah. Depending on how long it takes them to travel to where they're going, and then you got to find somebody that's hospitable to you in that no ancient world. There's no McDonald's. There's McDonald's in Jerusalem now, but there wasn't back then. Yeah. Uh, there are also cities of the people traveling in the wilderness, but, you know, God would let them stack up the manna by sight duty. Yes, if they, unless it was the Sabbath. That's the only time you get to keep one and only until the next day. Yeah, but otherwise it rots. You're right. You don't get to stockpile it. You got to be totally reliant. And all that language that... That both the so the stuff about the stockpiling and the stuff about they were just probably um, genuinely concerned. Where's my next meal coming from? I'm getting kind of hungry here. Um, both of those things, um, both of those things are legitimate and important to remember. I will say, it is funny to me. They just had the feeding of the four thousand, and last time they were sure to get leftover boxes, and this time they didn't. And so I wonder if there's some sense in which they're going, take it. Should have. We should have snagged one of the baskets. You know they would have given it to us. Come on, grief. What's wrong with us? And they're like, we did that last time and it worked. Oh, he's mad because we didn't remember to grab one. And I wonder if there's also a sense in which um, they think maybe Jesus is saying, "Hey, I'm a little hungry. Do y'all have anything?" And they're like, "You idiot! You were supposed to grab it, Thomas. Why didn't you grab the? Why didn't you grab the bread?" And and now they're nervous because they they don't have anything. And maybe they're concerned that he's hungry. Maybe they're hungry. It all plays in. I don't know. Um, but then Jesus does go off on them. Why are you talking about having no bread? You still not perceive or understand or your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see ears fail to hear? And do you not remember? I like that. Do you not remember? Um, there's a great book that I haven't read, so I don't know if it's great, but there's a great book title that I love, like the idea of called preaching as reminding. And I've read the back cover and his whole thing is, the vast majority of what you do as a preacher is just remind people of what they already know. He's like, you look at what Paul did. He's not writing to people who aren't baptized, born-again believers. He's writing to people who are believers. And what does he do? Again, he reminds them of the fundamentals. He goes back over the faith over and over and over again. He's going back to the core of the faith. And so um, it's reminding, constantly reminding, because we're so prone to forget. And I think of um, Come Thou Fount, um, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. There's truth to that. We are so prone in that direction. Ron, did you raise your hand? Oh, I thought you raised your hand. Um, yeah. Oh, Micah? Micah raised his hand? Kind of. Oh, kind of. Um, well, kind yeah, of say so something. He forgot. He no, forgot. I, I know what he I mean. forgot. <laughs> I, know, I know what the other text says, so I don't necessarily want to make that on it. I know. Wait, what? Um... It's just mumbling. Yeah, oh, okay. so fundamentally, I'm not sure that we should take, like, Jesus is like, Jesus gets discouraged more often in his ministry than I think that we would expect him mm. to, and then we model in our head. Um, I think particularly of the verse where he's like, when I return, will there be faith on the earth? Because, mm. um, right, like, that's like, that's definitely like, I would have just expected Jesus to think like, yeah, this is all going to work. Of course there will be, yeah. Um, but he's not like that. I don't know. I think this is probably one of the sure. moments for Jesus. Where he's just, Genuinely how exasperated. Are we, are we out here? Like, yeah. how, do you, how did you already forget? 
Like how I'm explaining to like a little kid like how they count to ten and they're like eight, ten, and you're like, no, okay, eight, nine, ten. They're like eight, nine, ten. It's like all right, now do that on the paper, and they're like eight, ten. And you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, genuinely exasperated. Yeah, it's it's not just a uh, preaching thing. He's genuinely, yeah, that's good. He, I, I think he is genuinely exasperated. He is fully human, and I'm fully God. God gets exasperated. Um, with Moses, he almost struck Israel dead like number of times. Yeah, number of times. It's like four. You can see his, his prayers when he went up to pray with the father. Daddy, why did you give me these guys? Mm-hmm. Are you testing me now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if it be your will, please let this cut pass. I'd really rather not do this. It's kind of what I think he's saying. I'd really rather not do this. These guys are boneheaded. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Not mine, theirs. <laughs> yeah, Rosemary. In some professional development that I went through back many years ago, um, they brought out that research has been done on children, uh, that it takes eight lesson cycles for them to get it. Mm. So maybe we just, you know, we're expecting too much. If we're seeing, oh, well, that just happened. Why didn't they get it yet? Yeah. Maybe it hasn't been enough That's good. cycles for this to really... That's good. And if it takes eight for children, it probably takes at least 16 for the disciples. That's the problem. It increases as you get older. Yes, certainly. Especially for men. Yes. Wow. I feel like Alex is in the doghouse this weekend. Anybody else? Well, it's just great. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it is a cop-out. Sometimes it's genuine. I think the disciples are genuinely dumb. Because <laughs> I resonate with them so much. I just think the disciples don't like what well, Jesus is doing. Is just really weird. It is like, really weird. It's really weird from their perspective, right? Yeah. Like they, 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 they expect something of the Messiah. Yeah. And they are like, this is definitely this has to be the Messiah, right? Like, but like. But he's not doing anything we thought the Messiah what, would what do. Are we, what are we? What are we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? So it's great that you say that. Because that plays in directly to what is now the like center section of Mark. So, and I want to start with this story. I hope this one will take us a lot longer. I've been excited to get to this point because I feel like I have a lot to say about this part. Um, so there's a, there's a real tight section in the center of Mark um, that is capped on either side, very sandwich-like, with the healing of a blind man and then the healing of another blind man. And it kind of caps this whole section. So it starts here in verse 22. It's the healing of this blind man at Bethsaida. And it's, this is the double healing where he has to do it twice. Um, and there's so much fun to be had with that. Um, but then if you go to, let's see, chapter 10, the very end of chapter 10, um, there's the healing of blind Bartimaeus. And in between these two, several really important things happen. Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, which is huge. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say I am? You're the Messiah. And we're going to debate this question. Does Peter get it right? Uh, yes, but no. We'll talk about it. Yes, but also no. Because he knows who he is, but he doesn't know what it means for him to be the Messiah. He tries to tell Jesus, this is what it means for you to be the, the Messiah. The Messiah doesn't die. The Messiah kills. He conquers Rome. He kicks Roman butt. That's how this goes. And then he calls Peter Satan. And goes off on Peter and tells him, no, we're not about to do this. You get the transfiguration 
Jesus is transfigured before the disciples. And three different times, did I already say this? Three different times Jesus predicts his, um, his death. So Peter doesn't really understand that the Messiah has to suffer and die. He says, I must, 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 must suffer, die, be rejected, and after three days rise again. That's, that's how this thing goes. Peter says, nah, that's not how this goes. Haven't you read scripture, Jesus? That's not what the Messiah does. And Jesus says, no, you haven't read scripture. And then three different times in this section, he says, I have to go and die. This is how this is going to work. And the disciples are scratching their heads going, who? And then, of course, at the last prediction, that third one in chapter 10, this is where we get the famous, um, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And uh, there's, there's just a lot that kind of ties this in. You'll get the word way over and over and over again, which I think is interesting because the way he's using way the way he's using way, is there, there's a path of discipleship to Jesus. And if Jesus goes to the cross, we do too. And that's very much, I think, this, this all roads lead to Jerusalem and all roads lead to the cross for Jesus and his followers. And so there's, there's a lot going on in this section, a lot to meditate on. Yes, well, Linda. Well, chosen, um, when Jesus calls Peter, he's, um, he's like, he wants me to be his disciple, his follower. I don't even know what that means. You know, mm. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. They were just people. Yeah. You know, they were just like, if you took us in this room and made us disciples, the things that we bring are the things they brought. So they had they had homes, they had wives. Things going on in their life. Yeah. They were some were weird, some were not weird. You know, we're all different, and that's exactly who they were. Yeah. And and that's where they started. Yeah. So you know, I, I and I've been guilty of this too. Is how stupid can they be? But you know, all of us in this room. Just as stupid, stupid as us. Stupid yeah. <laughs> we're we're looking at it as our now would be our first world problems, but you know our everyday problems. Yeah. Everyday life, we're looking at it through that lens, and it's not that lens. Mm. It, it's a completely different. Uh, it's a completely different. <coughs> everything is different about it. Everything is, is just different, and they bring all this garbage with them. They got to figure this all out, and eventually they do. But just you know, yeah, some. I mean, Peter relapses, right? Like. He there, apparently he continues to be like, well, I don't know about the Gentiles. I don't, you know, and Paul apparently calls him out, and they have this whole battle, you know. And that's interesting. After even after the the vision in chapter ten of Acts, you know, he was a tax collector, tax collector, and probably a failed rabbi. Yeah, you know, so he was. a seminary dropout. Yeah, yeah. He couldn't pass Hebrew. Think of Peter going swinging side to side, like not being. You know, straight, straight with his thinking. Because one minute he's yes. saying he's the Messiah, the next, next minute he's denying him, you know, and then he's in the garden, and it's just a short little thing about where he takes out the sword. And yeah, lobs off the dude's ear. He takes out to some, like, you are really upset. I mean, you're like, no, this isn't going to happen the way Jesus wants it. He's talking about it. It's going to happen the way I think it should happen. Yeah. And, and, and the thought of, Cutting off a soldier's ear 
is means you're gonna get slaughtered. Yeah. That would that would have been the end of yeah. the whole group. And I think Jesus' miracle probably took the Romans from, hey, we're going to exterminate these guys to, oh my gosh, what was that? What was that about? Who does that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the guy, you think about the guy that had his ear cut off, and the stories he told yeah. at the campfire the next day is like, okay, here's what, I, you're not going to believe what happened. My ear was Do you have off. ears but don't hear? Well, I didn't have an ear for <laughs> yeah, yeah. at least a minute and a half. Yeah. Scariest minute and a half of my life. Yeah, stories. It's so important. The early church loved that story. We don't talk about that story much at all. The early church made a big deal out of that story. And in fact, the, one of the phrases that I read just yesterday um, about that story was, I think it was Tertullian, one of the early, early church fathers. He said, when Jesus disarmed Peter, he disarmed us all. Isn't that profound? That's, that's deep. When Jesus disarmed Peter, he disarmed us all. That's what Tertullian said. I think there's something to that, too. You know, We, we tend to try to fight for Jesus. I always wondered if he was going to the head. Uh, yeah, and missed. He probably was. The guy went like this. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, he, he aimed to kill, he probably. He wasn't aiming for the ear. That's he wasn't aiming for the ear. <laughs> Listen, Peter has a lot of problems, but he's like not meek most of the time. No, he's not. Uh, he's he's going to do what he's going to do. If it's really you, tell me to hop on out. Walk on the water. Yeah. Yes, because Peter means rock. He's rock-headed, but he's not always as solid as a rock, is he? He's strong-headed. I've always admired that in Peter because I'm that. I can be strong, headstrong. And if he can be redeemed and that can be used for Jesus, then I can too. All right. And that goes to Thomas. If you have some doubts and some questions, you don't have everything figured out, that's okay. He, Thomas's apostleship was never questioned because he had doubts and fears and questions. Well, and what may be a weakness that we think of as a weakness, God can use it for oh, yeah. strength. Oh, yes. And, and I think that's, I mean, I see people in our church being used in their gifts and in the world, from the world's perspective, it may not be valuable, but what they give to the body is, is very valuable. It yes. Is. And it, the frustrating thing also, we talk a lot about like, these are my gifts, these are my gifts. And that's great, but that can also be an excuse to say, well, this is where God's gifted me. Yeah, God loves to call you where you're not gifted sometimes. Yeah, God loves to call you into things that are not your gift set because... Because it's that weakness and dependence that, you know, Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And that's well, and, profound and for us. He, he reveals that it's him. If he, if he had chosen a mighty warrior to go kill yeah. uh, Goliath, it would have been lot. They'd have been praising this mighty warrior as being so, so strong and so great. I got here late. But he, he sends David, and who can even wear the armor? Yeah. And, uh, so yeah. He, he continues to pick oh, the, uh, absolutely. Joseph, little punk boy Joseph. And Moses, Joseph's a little punk. Moses can't speak clearly some, some way. Yeah. <laughs> Moses' a a speech yeah. impediment. Yes, yes, absolutely. God loves to use the people that nobody ever thought they would use. Which is why, especially, like, I think of, like, the youth group, you know. 
There's always that one kid that you're like, well, that kid, oh my gosh, he's going to like sell drugs and run off the deep end. But then those kids are the ones that want to be a preacher. And people are going to say, even then, ah, no, 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 they're not going to, they're not going to last. I don't know. The kids that we all thought were a little goody two-shoes are the ones that I think now we need to be a little concerned about sometimes. You come to the men's breakfast and hear people testify. Oh, my gosh. If you saw that person, oh my word! Never, you wouldn't tell them about Jesus. Oh my word! Say, I am just wasting my time. Yes. This person is not. Yes. Any value in this, and yet they're. That's like, what I love about Airs of Grace. Yeah. It's just like everybody at Airs of Grace. I never feel out of place at Airs of Grace, right? Because yeah. most of those guys are like, "Oh man, I was yeah. filling the blank." Like, right? like Billy Helms himself was yeah. a character for sure. Yeah, I've talked to I've talked to a lot of those guys, and it's amazing some of the things they've done. The but I love that because the guy from the Cowboy Church yes. on Saturday had he was friends with Billy when they were BC before Christ. Yeah, before Christ. And, uh, and yeah. you know they ran together, and all these, and he was he was just like they look at each other as miracles. You know, yeah, truly uh, it, it is, and I think I think some sanctified shenanigans are always in order. God loves to use people who you wouldn't think he would use or do things with people that you wouldn't have ever pegged them to be the person to do. Right. Fill in the blank. Um, I think God takes a special delight and joy in that. And so like the disciples, oh, I think, well, I think God's heart is very much like a parent. He's proud. He's like, <sighs> we've come a long way, Peter, <laughs> Paul, all of you. So glad to see what, what the Spirit has done with you, with your cooperation. Well, and I think, you know, I think there was a Spirit thing as after Jesus left and on the day of Pentecost and all that because the, up to that point, the disciples were saying these boneheaded things all the time. I mean, they're just not getting it. And then mm. it seems like afterwards they have a, a wisdom or an understanding that they didn't have before. I think it's the Spirit. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and because they say things in, in the letters they write and things that are just, wow, you're like, your understanding is so far where, yeah. where it was when Jesus was yeah. And I love the section in Acts. Uh, I'll, I'll end with this passage. We're not going to get to the blind man today, but that's fine. Because I have a lot to say about the blind man, so I don't want to uh, go there. But I think it's in Acts 4. I believe it's Acts 4. I hope I can find this. It's the section where they're amazed at these dumb fishermen mm -hmm. who are turning the world upside down. And the word there for ordinary men, it's rather politely translated. <laughs> they think that they're uneducated. That's another way to say it. But it, it didn't have the, it's not just saying they don't have a degree or diploma on the wall. It's saying they're a few fries short of the Happy Meal and yet they're being used to change the world. Um, I don't know where that is, but... I think and they, and might be in chapter four somewhere. All these different languages. And, yes. And it, it's obvious that the Spirit is giving them understanding that they didn't have from their own yeah. life. I think part of the way the story is written, too, you get a lot of Peter, a lot of Paul in Acts. You get, like, a little bit of story about John. You get one little thing about Philip. And other than that, you're like, what Bartholomew do? I'm really curious. And I wonder if that's on purpose. It's like, if that's what these guys did, what the rest of them do? Right. Well, 
And we have some some idea, you know, from church history a little bit. Some of it some of it might be more legend, some of it might be more history, we don't know, but at that point it doesn't even really matter, I guess. Yes. Their attitude when someone that slanders we sometimes have a celebrity culture about us yeah. we want the big and the grand and the i used to be hooked on meth and now i love jesus and my life is completely those are great stories we need those but we also need the um we also need the the simpler stories too and those should be celebrated and also. Maybe Bartholomew was one of those guys who used to have hate in his heart. Yeah. That's why I like, I always use Bartholomew because we know very little about Bartholomew. Other than his name, we know nothing according to scripture. I think even church history, there's very little about him. So I always bring him out because he's one of the apostles. He's just an ordinary apostle. He gets to be on the 12, the team of the 12, but he's, you know, he's not Peter. He's not the front dude. He's not. Thomas, the one who doubted, he's not. Okay, let's yeah. be nice to Thomas. He's also the one who says that when they're going up to Jerusalem. I love Thomas. I would love, what he says is like, um, let's go up and die with him when Jesus says yeah. to go to Jerusalem. Yeah. Thomas says to the other disciples. So. It's the one that has doubts that seems to be even more faithful at times. Interesting. Okay, it's past time. We need to get ready for church. Vince has already given me the stink eye. I need to come get the PowerPoint ready, so <laughs> let's pray and get going. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that you are our Father because we are in Christ. And Christ is your Son, and if we're in him, then you are our Father also. Thank you that we are your disciples. Thank you that we are your disciples, even though sometimes we can do some silly, stupid things. Uh, But thank you that you love us anyway and that you are patient with us. Thank you that you are making us more and more and more like your Son, Jesus. We pray that even those moments of uh, fear and inadequacy and failure could be used in your economy to make, us, uh, to make of us something good and kind and beautiful. Um, we pray that even our failures and even our dumb moments could be used to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.